Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to be together a little hour, an hour earlier. Uh, there is a heat advisory today, so you can imagine if we met here at 1030 what it would be like. So if you're hot, it's going to get hotter. But I appreciate those who have come out. appreciate your uh, your heart to sit in the heat, endure it, sit in your car, uh, and the Facebook world and our NRV region down there. Good morning to you all as well. Um, we are going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7 again. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at uh, four paracopes or four examples oh, of the sure. idea of now that the kingdom of God has been brought to you, and now that Jesus is living it out and showing you as an example how to fulfill the law, which means not that he's just going to do everything for us, but he has done an example for us to imitate him. Okay. So now it's come to the point of decision. And last week, if you were here with us, the title of our lesson was, The Choice is Yours. And it really is coming down to that. And that's a daily choice. Because if it's not daily, it's not Christianity. Right? right? So we have a daily choice. So we have a choice all the time to be men and women who, who simply hear the word and then don't put it into practice. Or to really live in such a way as God always intended us to have kingdom here is to hear the word and to put it into practice and experience the joy that comes from walking with our God. So I'm going to go right off the bat here and say that today's lesson, I don't have enough time to talk it talk it through. It's, it's going to require all of us to head home from today and to really delve into it. 15 minutes, it's not enough. This text is meaty and it's challenging and it requires, really I'm going to give you my practical before we ever get started, you need to go take a test. After this lesson, you need to go take the test. And it really is a test of our faith. And if we're in the faith. And there is plenty enough examples and plenty enough guidance from God to help us to not walk in insecurity. For us to have security in our relationship with Him. But this will, as it has me, challenge my heart. It has caused me to, in a good way, question where I am. I believe anytime God's word's open, you get a mixture of encouragement, being built up, but then at the same time, you're convicted, and you're challenged, and you're, you're meant to look at your life and say, how do I match up to this? And what do I need from God and his fellowship to be able to put this into practice? So by no means is this a question of intent or of hope, but we can't escape what our lives are actually producing when we go about our weeks. So the title of my lesson this morning is Like Root, Like Fruit. Like Root, Like Fruit. You know, my, my son uh, is an avid avid uh, player at Chuck E. Cheese. Not so much now. But before, uh, before Chuck E. Cheese shut down, which I thought was a great idea, <laughs> My son is, uh, is all about getting tokens and tickets, and he's actually quite good. And it's fun to watch him just destroy these games. So he, he acquired enough tickets to, uh, to purchase, I believe, I, might have to, I hope I have this story right, but to purchase uh, jelly beans, a whole box of jelly beans. This is about, more than I'm thinking about, it might have been a gift. It's okay, you don't need to correct me from there, buddy, it's all right. So anyway, uh, so these, uh, these jelly beans, but these jelly beans weren't, your typical jelly beans of strawberry and blue raspberry and you know all that kind of stuff. These are the ones that 
They look like they could be strawberry. Oh, no. But ah. these are the other side where I think it's called bean boozled or bean boozled. Uh -huh. So there's a speckled one that could be uh, a s'more. Yeah. But it actually could also be stinky shoes. And there could one that was green apple, oh. or it could actually be vomit, yeah. which I guess everyone's vomit tastes the same according to Jelly Belly. But anyway, these, ah. these jelly beans where it looks like, oh, this is going to be what I'm familiar with. This is going to be a glorious blue raspberry. In the end, it's actually, you know, something, something just, ugh, yeah, toothpaste was one of them. So we have this game every once in a while we go, and we tuck these jelly beans on top of our fridge, and we, we open it up, and you really just spin it. And you gotta pick one out. And it's just kinda like wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And I've never I've never received a good jelly bean. It's always like, oh green apple, I love green apple. Oh, it's vomit. And you you kinda question like what you think is actually what you'll taste. And I've tried that theory of like this is gonna be green apple no matter how. And that, and that connection of mind and gut anyway. But there's there's that phenomenon where it looks like this is going to be good, but it produces bad, right? This looks the part, but it actually doesn't follow through. Jesus talks about that, and what he talks about here is that the root is really the issue. And in, in first century, around this time in, Ju in Jerusalem and Galilee, there actually were, as we read these stories, there actually were vines that actually looked like and produced grapes, but they weren't grapes at all. They were poisonous. And there were also trees in that area that produced the same type of flower that fig trees produced. From a distance, it looked the part. But the closer and closer you got, you could discern this is no fig tree, even though the flower looks like it. And this is no grapevine, even though it looks like there's grapes on it. Right? So Jesus does challenge us this morning that it's not just about looking the part the outward appearance of faithfulness or just the outward allegiances of kingdom living but it really is and always is boiled down to what's at the root so you could go and take an apple tree and you could pluck all the apples off of it and then just scotch tape a bunch of oranges and you might own the tree and you might fool somebody for a season like oh you have an orange tree but then without a doubt next spring what will be produced from that tree? Apples. Apples. You can't change the makeup of the tree. You can fool somebody. You can try to disorient it or reorient it, rather. But the roots will always produce what it produces. So Jesus is talking to us with these very familiar examples to help us to see and to investigate and ultimately to test what's at the root of our lives. How are the roots? of our lives with Christ? How is the root of the RBC as a community? Where are the roots? And ultimately, how can we make sense of it? Well, Jesus tells us we can make sense of the root by the fruit. So like root, like fruit. Let's read together verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. We'll stop there. We're going to continue through verse 23 this morning. But this idea here, Jesus gives us a familiar one. He gives us a familiar example of sheep and wolves. He gives us a familiar example of tree, good tree, producing good fruit, and bad tree producing bad fruit. These are familiar examples that even John the Baptist spoke of when he prepared the way for Jesus. There were people who were of Abrahamic descent or uh, a true Israelite that came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he said to them, who has warned you from the coming wrath, produce good fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, right? So these, these, these allegiances to Abraham, the roots in which they so confidently claimed that they were a part of this faithful root, but their lives had not produced such fruit. So therefore, John the Baptist challenges them to look at the root and to repent, which we know is a transformation not of just outward fruits. Then he does tell us about this example of false prophets and them being ferocious wolves inside, but they look like sheep on the outside. You know, it's very interesting is that shepherds actually wore the wool of the sheep they attended. So as the sheep were sheared, they made wool, wool coats. Again, cold winter nights in Jerusalem and in, in Israel, all those areas. So it actually became known that prophets, when they came into town, they would actually be wearing shepherd's clothing. So you kind of get this sense of the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. That outwardly, okay, you look like a shepherd, but what you teach isn't the same voice of a good shepherd. And not just what you teach, but they were taught to look all throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, to look at the fruit of the one who comes preaching. There's a, a, a testament, not scripture, but there's historical, uh, there's a historical book called the Didache, which actually highlights a lot of the first century practices of Christianity. And there was, there was one specific thing about false prophets was if they actually come preaching and they don't have a job, meaning a trade along with them, themselves, then, then this is not a true prophet. And if they come asking for money, this is not a true prophet. But most importantly, if they come and they do not do what they say, this is a false prophet. So people were taught by God to be clear to make sure that, you know what, not everything you hear, even if it looks good, is from me. And you can tell if it's from me by what it produces in our lives. I love that. On, that God isn't just hot air. That the gospel itself isn't just about hearing good, sweet things. That Christianity isn't just about knowing sweet things. It's actually meant to transform our lives. And praise God for all that because many of us here and many of us online... We've done that gig before. We've done the, I love the sweet songs of Christianity. I love the ideas of Christianity. I love hearing a good message of Christianity, singing Christian songs. But I'm so frustrated that it's not translating to my life. I'm so frustrated by the hypocrisy of Sunday Christians, but then Monday through Saturday, pagan, so to speak. And all a pagan is, is someone who believes in another God. And it doesn't mean necessarily between our ears we believe in the right God, but it's how we live determines what God we really believe in. 
So I love that Jesus is telling us here that real discipleship, really following me, the kingdom of God really produces radical fruit in our lives. And to that we celebrate that this isn't some scam. This isn't some Facebook ad that if you click and you buy something on Facebook that you're actually end up going to get a virus on your computer instead of the product you hoped you'd get. This actually produces real change and real fruit that's obvious. And I think we got to celebrate that first and foremost. That Jesus is telling us here that the kingdom of God produces incredible things that you can trust and you can discern, that you can be secure in that you're not following some sham or some made-up principle or some nice teaching from some guy who got some cool thoughts in the desert one day and now is coming, calling you to transform your life. There's not a lot of things like that in our world that you can trust fully. The gospel, we can. So we know that here. But the truth is, church, and the truth is from my heart, my goodness. We are, and you are, ultimately recognized by your fruit. Not what you say, not what you, uh, what you subscribe to, not what you believe, not what your allegiance is toward, but you're ultimately shown by the fruit of your life, by how your life pans out, by how things go in the long haul. Not just, just a moment, and then the other moment it's different, but in the patterns of your life, you get to see the fruit of who you're really following. This is measurable. This isn't meant to be something that's uh, really a rocket scientist or something that someone that has a divinity degree is meant to assess. This can be seen by anyone. And I love that too. So there's a couple of things here that we gotta be careful of as a church and I'm very challenged as a, as a minister of the gospel, to make sure that the gospel we live, the gospel we al align ourselves with, and the gospel we're imitating is producing the right things. So, a couple quick things if you're taking notes about what false doctrine or false teaching or a false prophet produces. The first thing a false prophet produces is mainly an observance of the externals that the preaching of the scribes and the Pharisees was so highly criticized, rightly so, by our Lord and Savior because it consisted primarily, if not entirely, about the observance of the ceremonial law. Meaning there was this overarching concern of just how you looked. So are we talking about fruit? Are we talking about the outward production of faith? It's so easy to take that as, okay, I gotta make sure my life out here is everybody sees it is really lining up. But what ends up happening is that we don't take the attitude of Jesus. We don't take the heart of Jesus deep inside. We take everything to be meticulous or to have a meticulous hand washing of the outside, but the things of God are far from our hearts. False teaching is, and false doctrine, and the false prophets, and Taking the test is, right now in our lives, how far does the Word of God go? Does it go to just outward externals, or is it transforming your life? On, you know the fruit of falseness 
is if you're focused on the outward appearance and not taking Christianity all the way downtown to your heart. Secondly, false doctrine and false prophets and false Christianity produces and is based on thou shall nots. Meaning the focus of the gospel is simply what you shouldn't be doing. How many times have we heard that growing up? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. It's all prohibitions. That Christianity and your mindset and your heart is just informing you about the stuff you shouldn't do anymore. But there's real no, this is what I should be doing. That even in our relationships with one another, what do we focus on? Hey, shouldn't be doing that. Shouldn't be doing this. Don't do that. In our parenting, oh man, you want to exasperate your kid? Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. Why are you doing that? Quit doing that. I mean, we all are imperfect here. We all are doing things that we shouldn't do. But if our entire relationship with God or all that we pull from Scripture is just a list of stuff we can't do, and it has no life producing what we can do, simply put, don't lust. Okay, we all agree with that. But if it's just don't lust, instead of see them the way God does, value them as a son or daughter of God, if our mentality and our heart and our conviction isn't producing change, changed mentalities and worldviews, then we're just focusing on thou shall not. Many of a disciple has quit because they feel like they can't keep up with the thou shall nots. And they're burnt out. And they're frustrated. And they're, what's the point? What's the use? I think if we're, if we're preaching, or if we're discipling, or we're teaching, or we're parenting, or we're guiding one another through a life of don't do that, instead of encouraging, as Ephesians 2 tells us, that God has created good works for us to do in advance, if we're not preaching and teaching and helping and guiding what we can do, man, I don't think that's the gospel at all. Yeah, come on, bro. And it produces a life that's focused on just what we shouldn't do rather than the reality of doing great things. It's an easier Christianity. It's an easier religion to just abstain rather than go after doing what it says. Thirdly, it produces an easy religion. Easy in the sense that, you know what? Romans 6 highlights it. Go look at it on your own. Romans 6, 1 through 23. What was going on in the church in Rome? They were saying things like this. Do you believe that God's grace is the biggest thing in the universe? To that we all say what? Yes. Questions like this were asked of Paul. Do you believe that God's grace is wide enough to cover every sin? To that we say what? Yes. The reply would then be, well then, if that be so, let us go on sinning to our heart's content. God will forgive. And after all, our sin is simply giving God's wonderful grace an opportunity to operate. We know, as Paul told the church there, a religion like that is a travesty of religion because it's an insult to the love of God. What that is, is any type of teaching or lifestyle that says that you take the iron out of your religion, meaning you take the iron out of the fire, you take the cross out of Christianity. 
when you take a seriousness of sin out of the gospel, you are taking the cross out of Christianity. It's easy. It's an easy religion. And that's what false teaching can bring. Fourthly, it divorces life. It divorces life from the gospel. Meaning, we love what the Bible says, but we don't put it into practice. Not only that, but we actually are not intentional about making an impact in other people's lives. Means that we subscribe to it. We love it. The church stays within itself, but it does not reach its community. You know, the hermits and the monks made that mistake. Yes, you can argue. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have a lot of the gospel in, in the text that's sitting on your lap or downloaded on your phone. We might not have had it had they not gone separated themselves and actually taken to it, writing those scriptures down for us. But they in their mindset were saying, you know what? That's not why we came here. We came here because we wanted to escape temptation of life. And therefore we isolated ourselves from making any impact whatsoever. So yes, being a Christian is hard, but are you a Christian that has ceased to live? Come on, bro. It is easier than ever in our pandemic and social isolation yeah. and Zoom Facebook Christianity, it is so easy to become a hermit where we subscribe to all that we're reading and yes, we believe it and yes, we're pricked by the Holy Spirit to actually do something about it, but we say, you know what, life's kind of hard right now with all this stuff going on. I'm just going to take it, take it, step back. I'm going to reduce the impact and therefore I'm going to choke out the gospel unintentionally to a world that needs it more than ever. Jesus prays in John 17 not to take us out of the world. How many of us would love for God to take us out of the world? I'm not saying necessarily like, hey, I don't want to live anymore, or as Kenny Chesney says, everyone wants to go to heaven, just not right now. But in a sense that we could, as disciples, live in this world free of all the heartache and temptation and challenges and backsliding and hardship and all the ugliness that we see come out of our hearts. Oh man, if I could just live as a disciple without any issues, sign me up. But that would be a soldier running away from the battle. And there is no such thing as a good soldier that runs away from the battle. We are Christian soldiers and therefore we lean into the battle. Jesus teaches us that we are meant to be like leaven that works its way through the dough. How is that happening if we're taking ourselves out of the dough? We all know Jesus' examples are really straightforward. God is calling us to be inserted into the mass, not to isolate ourselves. False prophets, false disciples are those who take the balcony view of life. They look down at the world. Metaphorically, and literally saying, you know, I'm going to take an upper view. I'm just going to look at what's going on, but I'm not going to get on the stage. I'm not going to get to their level and really live this out. Our world right now 
is fighting for unity, yet becoming more divided all at the same time. I'm not a politician, but I do know our world is political. Religion will be used, discipleship will be used, and following Jesus will be used in the next few months to separate people who really care about this country from those who don't. Christianity will be used as a tool to accumulate votes for a certain representative or representatives. Discipleship will be used arrogantly to separate rather than to bring together. Let it not be said that any disciple watching or sitting or participating uses the gospel as ammunition to become arrogant, to separate creation. Because the kingdom of God and its ushering in is all about bringing people together. It is the dream of Jesus Christ himself in John 10 verse 16 of one flock and one shepherd. False discipleship contributes to arrogance. It contributes to separation. It contributes to narrowing oneself into a sect rather than functioning to knock down walls and partitions. Discipleship more than ever is not an exclusive religion in the sense that it does not interact with people who disagree. It is exclusive in the sense of its purpose and its Lord and its lifestyle, but it is not exclusive in its practicality. And we must believe that more than ever. It is irreligious to use Jesus as a reason to separate oneself from anyone. There was a creed that was sung in our world at one point. And it sounds so exciting, but it's so damning. The psalm and the song, you imagine singing this at church. We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no room in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Can you imagine that being a song that we sing? We, we chosen few. We want to keep heaven nice and comfortable. Oh my goodness. Those words are ridiculous. But do our lives sing the same tune? Does the fruit of our lives say, you know what? I am, I am isolated myself. I am giving the world and its ugliness as reason to separate myself from impact. Yes, I have used my discipleship and even my sound salvation doctrine as reason to pull my heart back from others. Jesus is all about bringing men closer together. Let it not be said that the church drives men apart. God wants to gather us all into one family. Yes, that's challenging. And one, we wonder often, how in the world will it ever happen? But the truth is, it will happen, and it can happen in our day when we decide to be men and women who actually put God's word into practice. When we are set on in a great and very clear way that we're going to be men and women who don't just treat these words as truth, but we hang our hats on them. 
We remind our hearts of them every day and we decide to put them in to practice. Fine words will never be a substitute for fine deeds. Come on, bro. I don't care what you say and you shouldn't care what I say. What do I do? Your kids, your roommates, your co-workers, the atheists, those who don't believe, they've heard enough, but I don't think they've seen enough. It's time to show them Jesus. Jesus spills this down to a very clear point that my brother Cliff Gaines is going to preach next week. That one way to prove your sincerity is to show your practice. One's proof of love is that of obedience. We don't like that word. I don't. Not all the time. But I can't say to my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, but continue to break her heart and say that I love her. I can't say, you know I love you, and then go do this. You know I love you, remember? And I do this. Jesus tells us it's easy to confess confess God with our lips and deny Him with our lives. Jesus says there in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, there are going to be a lot of people that are surprised. They did things that were conducive or in connection to the miraculous. But Jesus says in verse 23, I never knew you. So while we've talked so much about what your life produces, the fruit, like root, like fruit, and we can go after analyzing our lives and looking at the fruit of our lives, Jesus still attempts to go deeper with you, to beyond just, again, the outward expression of your faith, but then now to a very clear, clear and keen word, is does God know you? And that's where I hope you're thirsting for more. Because we don't have time this morning to go into how do I know Jesus knows me. But all we know at this point is that you can for sure take a test. And the test is what Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 8 or verse 5. Test yourself to see if you are indeed in the faith. And the context of all that was there was a church in Macedonia that was living out the gospel in such a very practical way of giving out of their poverty. They were generous to the point of it hurt. And now he tells the church in Corinth, I'm going to test your sincerity by comparing it with others. Be faithful to follow through with what you said you'd do. And that test is them now making a decision to live out what they so confidently proclaimed. So the test is for every disciple that sits and watches, you said, I said, Jesus is Lord. God is testing the sincerity of my proclamation. Not waving his finger at me like you said, you better do it but in a love of knowing that there is no real life without living out his word, 
He is beckoning me and calling me and encouraging me. John, this is the best way to live. Put into practice what you said you would so that you can live in kingdom. This is not a test that's meant to have you walk away insecure and feeling beat up and guilty. But this is an encouragement to look at the lives, look at our lives and say, you know what, okay, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I'm not letting God's word get to my heart. Yes, I believe all the right things. And you know what, I've used that to distance myself from my community. Shoot, I've used the current scenario to distance my heart from people. Consider Paul, who is in prison when he writes the letter to the Philippians. Consider that letter where he writes it in prison, where even though he was separated, none of us would ever question his sincerity for the world and its people. We have no excuse. Last time I checked, we don't see this as prison. Maybe a hot parking lot is prison. <laughs> We all know we don't want to be in the group of false prophets. None of us want to convey a gospel that's not true. None of us have gathered here to be set in our ways so much so that we don't want to do what God has called us to do. We are scared. We are encouraged. We're convicted that a lot of the fruit of our lives can be attributed to a root that needs to be transformed. And I put a bow on this sermon by saying Jesus' words here is an invitation, not condemnation. It's an invitation to live out the beautiful kingdom of God. To know that that is possible, that that actually can happen in our lives, or else he wouldn't expect the fruit. This can be your life. Where do you believe Jesus would encourage you to produce fruit the most. Would it be in your marriage? Would it be in your times with Him? Would it be in your love? Would it be in your proclamation of the gospel? Would it be in actually saying no to sin and temptation? Would it be your prayer life expressing itself in humility for your need for Him? Where would Jesus say, John, I want to see fruit here. I know you want it, and you can have it, but it's time to do it. Where would he say that is for you? Take the test, and here's your test, church. Take the test this week by reading, once again, the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. Read Matthew 5 through 7 this week. That is the invitation to the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to live out kingdom. That is where Jesus is saying, if you are my disciple, this is not just what you agree to, but this is in your heart, and you're striving to put this into practice. It comes with a promise. If you live this way, you will never be shaken. If you live this way, you can survive and thrive all difficulty. And in the meantime, you can produce life-giving change that produces life 
for others. This will attack the root, and this will produce fruit. Like root, like fruit. We know it, let's live it here in the RBC. We love you. We'll see you right here next week at 9.30. Thanks so much for coming. Enjoy the fellowship. Don't be quick to uh, drive away. Amen. We love you.